0: Today we're gonna talk on James chapter three. And this is a kind of book that starts out with talking about taming our tongues. Um, And you know, that's a sensitive issue to someone. So I'm gonna kind of skip past that and get to the back end after we've done that. So anyways, um, again, did some research. And when you look at the, the human tongue, it weighs just 2.1 ounces. The average human body weighs 3,000 ounces. Aren't you glad you don't put that in a scale? <laughs> Which means our tongues make up less than 0.07% of our total body weight. To kind of put that in perspective... It would be equivalent to comparing the population of McHenry County to the entire population of the United States. So you can see how small that is. Another thing about the tongue, besides speaking, it's responsible for taste. Did you know that your taste buds are entirely replaced every 10 days? I wish some of the damage my tongue has caused would only last 10 days. I don't know about you, so. Um, I want to start by going over verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3. It says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and and is itself set on fire by hell. Those are um, kind of pretty humbling and things to consider. Uh, Many times the world tells us in situations where we want to speak but shouldn't to bite your tongue. I'm sure everyone's heard that. The origin of the phrase can be traced back to at least Shakespeare in his play, um, Henry VI. It refers to the fact that if you bite your tongue, and you can try this right now, hold it between your teeth, it, it's impossible to speak. So, Okay. Well, I can still hear you talking, so apparently you're not doing it. So. <laughs> Anyways. So... Um, growing up, I loved watching The Honeymooners. And if you're familiar with the show, you know that Ralph's picture should be included next to the verses in 5 through 6, okay? Because Ralph didn't bite his tongue. So I'm going to show you a little clip of kind of how the world handles this. Um, And the little background is, prior to this beginning of this clip, Ralph and Alice are arguing because Ralph's mother-in-law, Alice's mom, gets under Ralph's skin really quickly sometimes. And so Ralph says, your mom is gonna get under my skin and say something within three minutes that are gonna set me off, okay? And so Ralph and Alice are going to see a show. It's a mystery. And Ralph has been avoiding talking to people all week about this because he didn't want to know the answer or, the, the, or actually the, the conclusion. And so Alice and him are sitting at the table, and, and, and his mother-in-law, Alice's mom, comes in. And if you want to show the clip. And I want you to watch Ralph's face through this. Oh, with him first. But I couldn't because you were coming over to spend the evening. Anyway, it's a wonderful show. It's called Murder Strikes Out. Oh, that. Oh, I had a neighbor, Mrs. Finley, she saw it. She didn't think much of it. Really? It was supposed to be such a big hit, the papers said it's a very exciting mystery. Oh, the papers, that's just a lot of publicity. All that to do about chills and suspense. And that nonsense about, don't tell your friends a surprise ending. Well, it was no surprise to Mrs. Finley. She said she knew all the time that it wasn't the uncle who committed the murder. It was the husband. You! I often wonder if sometimes we're not like that in the situations, but you know, Ralph tried to bite his tongue, probably counted to 10 multiple times. You could see his face was just you know, trying to hold back, but in the end, he lost a battle to his tongue. You know, his outburst might have felt good at the time, but the spark from his tongue set the whole house on fire, you know, destroyed relationships. So, again, we laugh at that, but as we view ourselves, I'm sure that we have situations, it may have felt good at the time, but it set the house on fire. Chapter 3 of James is broken into actually two parts, you know, those not by James, but by the people that, you know, put the book, um, put the book in the Bible. The first part in my Bible says taming the tongue. And I think of taming, I think of whips and, you know, chairs like fighting a lion. And maybe that's useful for some of us. The second portion is, said two kinds of wisdom. And I I think the way James wrote this letter, it was really in a way that says, you know what? From personal experience, he knew that he had mocked Jesus. There's parts of the Bible where he didn't believe Jesus was Jesus, you know. And so him and his brothers mocked him. Then he got the wisdom. And when you read, again, the beginning of of James he talks about being a slave and servant of his brother Jesus so he got the wisdom from that and I think that's why he structures this letter like that warns of the tongue and then shows you the way to tame it James 3 3 through 18 13 through 18 is the actual verse I'm going to focus on and let's read this all out loud I think it's good to read this who among you is wise and understanding by his good conduct he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart don't boast and deny the truth such wisdom does not come from above but is earthly unspiritual demonic for where there is envy and selfish ambition there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering without pretense, and fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate this. So two weeks ago, a message was on trials about how Joy, James writes, of that we should have in trials that come from the actual endurance of surviving and working your way through trials. I think endurance in this sense, in that verse, can be interchanged with wisdom. Because in verse 5 of chapter 1, James says, if you lack if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it'll be given to you. So you couple this with this verse, and you say, okay, the wisdom comes from God. Then, later on in chapter 1 or chapter 2, he talks about people of faith. We talked about putting faith into action last week. And he mentions Rahab. Rahab. And Sally gave a little bit of background on Rahab, but I want to read you um, what Rahab's story was. And and just a little background before I get to the point that I want to read is that two two spies from, from the Jewish nation came in and the king of Jericho was searching for them and wanting them to be turned over, to be killed. So... She could have easily turned them over, been a hero, maybe got some money from it. But she says that when she heard the stories of the Jewish God and in her words, talking about the people of Jericho, our hearts melted in fear. Okay, so she had fear. And I want to read the verse and get to the point I'm trying to make is Now please, she's talking to the Jewish spy. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I show kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. So when you look at Rahab, before agreeing not to report the spies to the king of Jericho, she negotiated a deal that would save her family. I don't think you would argue that Rahab used great wisdom in that situation. In the trials we go through, we have a choice between where we seek wisdom, from the world or from above, meaning God. As I was preparing this message, I started looking back at life and the wisdom I gained. I realized that often I confused intelligence with wisdom. I also thought you only get wisdom from getting older age. I'm not convinced now that that, that, that start is either fully correct, is, is not fully correct. So let's start with my premise that intelligence equals wisdom. And, and I think intelligence, I don't wanna say like book smart, there is knowledge that you can gain from not going to school. So look at it as knowledge. I think you all. I can dispel that theory by pointing to the show, The Big Bang Theory. If you do any search of YouTubes, you will find hours of Sheldon saying things that are logically and intelligent, but he didn't get the outcome he expected. Why? Because he lacked wisdom. They may be funny to watch, but if I asked for a raise of hands, everyone here has had at least one Sheldon moment in their life, right? I have multiple. I'm going to give you an example of that. A few weeks into my job at Baxter, I was a new guy. The ink of my diploma had just barely dried. I didn't know what I didn't know. I was sitting in a shared area, and my boss was having a discussion with a few other people about a problem that they were having, my group was having. It was something that I immediately knew I had the answer for and I just blurted it out. The room got quiet, you know, like those things when the record goes, and stops. That was that moment. You know, I was expecting high fives and fist bumps, but boy, I was wrong. Instead of smiles, I got frowns and knitted eyebrows. My boss pulled me aside, away from the others, got really close and said to me, you aren't paid to think. That was 39 years ago and I can remember like it just happened. The impact of those words, you aren't paid to think, has had a big impact on my career that really can't be measured. But I'll save that for another sermon if you wanna get the whole story behind that. I got an earful of what an untamed tongue could dish out from my boss. Like James, it was a spark that literally refused that resulted in me making significant life changes. But I also played a role in this. What I said was true and correct, was true and correct, but my timing was off. I didn't understand the power structure or the dynamics at work. I had the intelligence, maybe it would be, say, knowledge, but I lacked the experience. I didn't know the protocol. But I learned very quickly and I got wiser that day. Another misconception I had about wisdom is that came with age or experience. Um, here's a video, I think I can, it's easy for me to try to explain it, but I think this video really puts that sometimes getting older doesn't actually equate with wisdom. So you want to roll the. <laughs> Can you believe it? They used to test h bombs on this beautiful piece of property. Oh, Alan, I miss you so much. (laughs) Alan. Eddie, uh, don't you worry about radiation? All I know, Clark, is that my teeth have never been whiter and my garden is spitting out 50-pound tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) I know this is an extreme example. But I think if each of us has a cousin, Eddie, in our lives, don't we? And I'm looking at my wife and she's staring at me, so I don't know what that (laughs) means. Those are the ones in the family that are a little unusual. They say or do something like Eddie here. In in the next scene, he's cooking meat on one of the stones because the radiation's still radiating out of that. Eddie's experiences if you know a story, really didn't make him wise. It really made him a wise guy. Because on the other side, I do think age can make us wise, but being wise is not also equal to having wisdom. I want to unpack this a little bit. I don't know about you, but I get bombarded every day with emails, spam mail, with these incredible offers that will take years off my life help me look better, lose weight, grow my hair back, on and on. I've become wise to these frauds because I've encountered them over and over again. Maybe I've read some articles on them, you know, warnings and whatnot, and I'm alerted to them, but what if somebody came to my door with a similar type of offer? And they, something I wasn't alerted to or had experience with, Would I also be wise with these offers? Would I be able to know from what I learned in these emails and and really transfer it to the person at the door? Was I able to apply lessons I learned in one situation to a different situation? And I think that's what wisdom is, is applying what you learn from one situation and applying it to multiple areas of your life. In the same sense, experience doesn't always end in wisdom. An example of this is a gambler who goes to Vegas every year with the hope of beating the house. He has read books, has a new strategy every year, but every year he comes home broke. Year after year, he repeats the process with the same results. He knows the house has the advantage, and his past experiences should tell him that he will lose. But he keeps doing it. I think sometimes when you couple knowledge with experience, it doesn't lead to wisdom, it may lead to an addiction. The conclusion I came when examining my life about wisdom was that I didn't exist on an island. We all don't exist on an island. That along with intelligence, knowledge, and experience, I also needed input from things or people outside of myself to get the wisdom. And this is the thrust of what James is writing in verses 13 through 18. The input of wisdom, James claims, comes from one of two places either earth, the world, or from above. This outside myself wisdom really serves to calibrate my knowledge and experiences in one of two ways either a worldly way or a heavenly way. It might really be hard to believe that when I was younger, I had a full head of blonde hair. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> Growing up in the late 70s and 80s, you know, it was feathered perfectly, kept in place by massive amounts of ozone depleting hairspray. Wind didn't have any effect on it. In my mid-20s, my hair started to thin. And I got some subtle and not-so-subtle hints from my wife at the time, that she preferred me with a full head of hair, like before. I struggled this, wondering why it mattered. I worked hard to be the best husband I could be, going to seminars, reading books, et cetera, but none of it made a difference. The comments never stopped, they continued to go. Thinking that pleasing my wife was a way to improve our marriage, you know, happy wife, happy life, I broke down and made employment to go in and review my options. They told me I would look great with one of their hairpieces. They showed me before and after pictures of other men that had gone through the process. Pictures of them in pools with big smiles on their face, their wives being attentive and more attractive. They explained how it helped them in their careers. It was a win-win-win-win-win situation. While I was receiving the earthly wisdom, being peddled by the saleswoman, in the back of my head I heard God whisper, I love you for who you are. But the more the salesperson talked, the less I could hear God's voice. Finally, I signed a contract. In a month, I would be a new man, loved by my wife, kids happy, dogs wagging their tails when I got home. It wouldn't be long until I had that corner office at work. As you can see, I don't have Fabio's golden flowing hair. So that's kind of a hint that it didn't work out, as I planned for the first few weeks. My marriage did appear to improve, but after the new wore off, the same came, patterns came back, though the dogs still wagged their tails when I got home. On the outside, I looked terrific, but on the inside, I was being torn apart, so much so that for about six weeks, I couldn't function. I was in an unwinnable situation. On one hand, my wife was saying how great I look, so continuing on would be at the expense of my peace. If I keep it on, happy wife, but it wasn't such a happy life. If I went to back to as I was before, I would have peace, but there would be no peace in my marriage. So as the common women would say, unhappy wife, unhappy life. Like all issues, it eventually worked out. My issue got worked out by a four-day stint in the hospital on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Evaluating my decision, happy wife, I acted immaturely. I opted for the easier of two paths. It wasn't my hair, it was the marriage. I was enamored by all the shiny surface things that mattered in this, to this world. I ignored the things that mattered to God. Last week, I gave the examples of my faith in action. It's displayed by the fruit I bear. Specifically, I gave you the example of the apple tree. I was producing immature fruit, immature apples. If you ever bit into an immature apple, they're very bitter and tough. It is not a pleasant experience. It still has nourishment, though, but the apple isn't what God intended it to be. While I was going through all this, there really was no flavor in my life. It was like things were in monochromatic black and white. I was living, but I wasn't alive. I was so withdrawn that I hardly spoke. My tongue wasn't speaking badly, but everything tasted bland. I did gain wisdom, but I found out over the next 10 years that wisdom was a road that had no end. Each experience moved me further down the road got me wiser, until I lost sight of where I came from and began to focus on where God wanted me or was leading to me. I was thought about ending it here, but that would only be half the story. James explains that getting wisdom from above produces good fruit. In October of 2021, I was leading the last board meeting of my tenure as the chairman of the board of directors. Dave was sharing a story and the decision he made to turn down the call he had gotten from the church in Carlsbad, California. He explained that the Lutheran Church was not graduating enough students from their seminaries to fill all the open pastor positions. Dave added that things were only going to get worse due to the aging and retirement of current pastors. The future really didn't look bright, and there was really no answer to that. Then, like Dave is known to do, he threw a curveball. This might be a knuckleball, curveball, mix, but... He said that he wanted to raise up 12 workers from the FOF body. When he said that, I began to feel a weak but constant vibration in my body. My cell phone was on the table in front of me, so that wasn't it. He went on to outline the SMP program and the SMP and deaconesses programs that are offered by Concordia in St. Louis. I felt the vibration cr- increase. As he went into more and more detail, my body increased in vibration. I looked around, and thankfully, no one was looking at me because I don't know if I was physically vibrating. When day finished, my whole body was vibrating. The vibration, though, was in residence with the Holy Spirit. For that brief moment, it was like I was hitting the key... The C key on a piano, and God was holding a tuning fork that was perfectly aligned with that C note. At the break, I caught Dave and I told him I was in. As I started telling my friends and family that when I retired I was going to be a pastor, the first response for some was a smile or chuckle, for others it was a gut-belling, gut-busting belly laugh, and some of them are still laughing. No matter how they responded. I could tell that they wondered why I would choose to take on full-time ministry at my age rather than kicking back and enjoying retirement and enjoying the fruit of my 40 years of labor. When I took a step back and looked at things from their perspective, I could see why they may have reacted in that way. What may seem strange, what may have seemed strange from their perspective was anything anything but I had aligned my knowledge with my experience and added the wisdom from above, which resulted in an unexpected outcome to them, but I argue an expected outcome in heaven. Five years ago, I would have never said in my wildest dreams that I would be standing up here, sharing my stories, sharing some of the wisdom that I obtained, but it was a life-altering effect. I now know what Peter meant in John 6, 68 through 69. Background behind this is many of the disciples of Jesus, the followers, were were leaving because he, he gave this outrageous claim that to have internal light, you had to physically eat flesh and drink blood. So as he's watching, and they said many, so you know many is probably a lot. He turned to his 12 disciples And asked, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, because they didn't. And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you're the only, the Holy One of God. And I started looking at it as like, now after this, who else should I go for wisdom? Except from the one above. Before I call Garrett and his band up, I wanna close this out with one small piece of information that I haven't given you yet. And you may laugh, and you're wondering what this bag is. It has to do with Sour Patch Kids. I see the kids are all excited. (laughs) The way I painted my last story you know, to put it in biking terms, it would be like riding downhill with the sun and wind at my back on a nice paved road with no potholes. But that really would be mis- misrepresenting the reality. Life isn't like this. You know, if you've ever eaten one of these Sour Patch Kids, I don't know if I can open this. There we go. Now, reading one of these little tiny Sour Patch Kids, you know that as it sits on your tongue, and I'm not going to do this because I probably won't be able to speak, (laughs) maybe that's what we should do, put a Sour Patch Kid, and it'll help us preventing us from talking. Um, It's very sour. And you can see this reflected in my face or your face, and sometimes maybe your words, like, ah, you know, or you're going like that. But if you hang on to, continue letting it on your tongue, it gets sweet. The sour turns into sweet. And again, this could be reflected in your face and sometimes in the, hmm. My journey is not all downhill with the wind and sun at my back. It's like eating a Sour Patch Kid. I throw a piece of my mouth, persevere through the sourness, knowing that the sweet will come. Once finished, I pop another in my mouth and repeat the process. Forrest Gump said, life is like a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're gonna get until you bite into them. Since I'm not a big chocolate fan, I prefer the soft gummy candy. I think we as followers of Christ know that life is like a Sour Patch Kid. Often we have to persevere through the sourness of the world's wisdom to get to the sweetness of the wisdom from above. I misspoke last week that putting our faith in action will lead to a fulfilling life. I realize now that God doesn't want us to have a fulfilling life. He wants us to have an abundant life. And because we are by nature sinners, our immaturity will bring sourness. But if we're patient, he will turn that sourness into sweetness. For those who have made it through the sour part and are enjoying the sweetness, I thank God for you. I know that some of you right now are tasting some of the sourness of life right now. I pray for you to build the endurance that will eventually lead to the sweetness. It might not be what the world calls sweet, but when we allow his wisdom wisdom from above to guard our choices, the sourness will be turned eventually into sweet fruit. There is one last group that is hearing this and is hesitant. You're wondering if I could trust God, if I could trust God's wisdom to guide my life. You might be thinking that the world's wisdom may not be working out for you, but you're afraid that choosing God's wisdom might turn out worse. I can give you an answer to that. I can't give you an answer to that, but if you're tired of swallowing the sour patch kid before you get to the sweet part, all you have to do is tell God that you need him to lead your life. He can get you past the sourness that you have experienced and maybe are experiencing. Surrounding your life to him is the only way to eat the fruit that gives everlasting light. You can do that today. Today. Turn your life over to him, and he will not only have the wisdom you need to build the endurance to the trials, he will walk in front of you to show you the way. I'm going to bow in prayer. Dear Lord, the tongue only speaks what is in my heart. James said that earthly wisdom tears down, but your wisdom lifts up. Lord, I pray that you change my heart. Fill my heart with your wisdom. Move the world out and fill it so the world can't get back in. I pray for everyone here, everyone listening online, that wherever they are, that you make their presence vividly known to them. I pray that as we leave today, that we leave and strive for a life that you offer of abundance. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.